Today is Monday, February 26, 2024. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Attacks on churches are rising here in the U.S. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. You can email us as well. We'd love to hear from you. Quick Start Podcast at cbn.org. Joining me today to get through the news of the cray is Billy Hallowell. Billy, you're looking at this story. Noah's Ark, a well-known and respected Christian theologian, is making an unusual claim about the flood. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really an interesting one. Uh, basically, it has to do with the flood being a regional and not a global event. And so we'll get into what exactly he is arguing. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to get the details because I'd never heard this um, line of thinking before. But this is not like from, if you haven't either, it's not from some crackpot theologian. This is a well-respected person. And so uh, it's interesting. So it's worth listening to. We'll check it out. And on the main thing, attacks on churches, as I mentioned, in the U.S., they've dramatically risen. Madison Seals has more on that disturbing trend. So all of that's coming up and more. But don't forget to subscribe to our new CBN News podcast, DC Debrief with John Stolness and Billy's Newsmakers, one full interview each and every weekday. So make sure you're subscribed to those. You can do so in the uh, description to this podcast episode. All right. We're going to head on over now to the news in 90 seconds. An organization combating intense Christian persecution in Sudan say they've helped free 1,500 Sudanese Christian slaves in the last year, bringing the total liberated of the past three years. Over 100,000 Joel Veldkamp as head of international communications at Christian Solidarity International. He told CBN News that it's essentially a modern-day underground railroad they're working to try to help these enslaved people. He explained the complex history, saying, Today we have two countries, South Sudan and South Sudan, but in the 1980s and 90s it was just one country called Sudan, and it was split by civil war. And it's between the north, which is mostly Muslim and dominated by Arabs, and the south, which is mostly Christian and black African. He said the Muslim government started uh, in the north to use slavery as a weapon of war, and we're still seeing the effects of that nearly 20 years later. You can check out the full story in the description of this podcast episode. Former President Trump says he'll defend Christianity and religious liberty if he wins the White House in November. said this at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference at Billy and Trey attended last week. And a California man, a doctor, says he won't move from his mansion, which is hanging by a thread on a mudslide. We'll have, uh, you can read all those stories and more over at CBNnews.com. And Billy, I wanted to bring this up. I know, uh, you know Trump spoke late last week at uh, NRB. Um, we, we can talk about that as well. But I wanted to mention this. I don't know if you saw the images of these mansions that are clinging to these mudslides happen in California. And there's, there's one in particular and there's a picture of it. I'll, I'll link to the, to the image here in the, in the whole bunch of links for you in the podcast today. But this house is, I mean, it is perilously close. Like the mountainside, you know, they build these mansions on, on cliffs there. And then this one just washed away. And like you can see the foundation of the house sort of hanging there. And this guy's like, nah, He's like, I'm good. It's not going to get red tagged. And so it's fine. I'm not leaving. I'd be out of there. And I just, the reason I bring it up is because I'm like, this is a $15 million house. I get it. 
I wouldn't want to leave either. But at what point do you just leave your possessions and material things and say, my life is more important? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that point is when your house is on a cliff about to (laughs) descend into. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just, for me, especially just thinking, I I don't know. It's really hard because we, we love our things. Right. And it's, and I'm not trying to judge this person. No, no, me either. I just work really hard. You you build this house, you, you put everything into it and you don't want to see it go. But I think safety is more important than, you know, than just the things, right? And so, yeah, it's, oh gosh, it's kind of heartbreaking too because you know that that person doesn't want to leave because they've poured their everything probably into this place. So it's it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it looks like a beautiful home. It's right on the water. I mean, you're you're obviously it doesn't get any better than that. So so I get it. I just think, but I'd be out. There's yes. no way I'd be staying. No, yeah. I would be out mostly because <laughs> I'm a wuss and I'm scared. And I be because you sit on this deck and you're just literally looking straight down. To, uh, to the ground yeah. there so yeah i mean it's uh but it is interesting though us as humans because maybe maybe we don't have that and so like you said i'm not i'm not trying to be critical of this guy um because everybody's got to make their own decisions but to me it just in my mind sparked this idea of when are we clinging to material things when we shouldn't be right and so <laughs> I think, yeah i think when we're going off of a cliff literally <laughs> yeah we might be yeah and so um, this is an obvious example but maybe we can maybe we can search for something in our own lives uh to to prune right and that maybe we're clinging on to that we that we don't have to so uh but the picture's wild i will say that and so i'd, I'd be interested to see what you would do if you'd be out of there too you can email us quickstartpodcast at cbn.org but uh, all right, let's uh, let's head on over to the focus story now. This is interesting. A theologian sparked that intense social media debate when he offered a different take on Noah's Ark. So what's going on here? Yeah, all right. This is really interesting. His name is Gavin Ortland. He's the president of Truth Unites. He is a former pastor um, and you know still a preacher, but online in his ministry now. He used to run a church, but basically. He he says that the Noah's Ark narrative was potentially speaking about a local or regional event and not a global flood. So a regional flood, essentially. And, you know, he he posited this online recently. And of course, you can imagine the response was pretty sweeping. A lot of people not very happy with this idea that, well, maybe it wasn't a worldwide, you know, in the sense of what we've thought of it. Maybe it was a massive flood that happened in this very specific regional area. So that's the sort of general argument that he made. And of course, it didn't take long for for people to let him know what they thought about that. (laughs) Yeah. So do you have any more details on some of like his main arguments and what those are? Yeah, so it's interesting because th- this is sort of sparked. He he said for him, he wants, and we had a chance to talk with him, you know, and we'll have a story on this, but he wants to help people understand, you know, some of the different arguments that are out there and that even within Orthodox Christianity, there have historically been different views. And And I had not heard this, but this is a view that he said has been since, you know, the beginning of the church has existed out there. Um, and it's a minority view, he said, but it is a view that is there. And it's one that, that really does resonate with him, uh, which is which is very interesting. But he said that you know, Noah's Ark is one of those stories that poses problems for some skeptics, even some people within the Christian community, he said, who are scientifically minded because they try to understand based on the different factors, how could this be? Do we see proof of this? And of course, 
people like Ken Ham and others, they've addressed this and they have their own understanding of why they, they think that the global flood makes sense, right? Based on the science, but yeah. he takes a different view on um, this. And, you know, he said there's really a good case because in its original meaning, the author and those who would have heard it in their mind, all of the globe, planet earth, and he said this is really a, a, an issue of interpreting scripture, that it was a smaller area, right? All of humanity was in one place. It was regional. So when you talk about, which is an interesting argument, when you yeah. talk about a global flood, from that perspective, if there was a flood of the Middle East, let's say, or of that or of that area, that would be all of humanity at that point. It would mm-hmm. be, quote unquote, global. Um he said, this is before the dispersion of human beings that happens after the Tower of Babel in Genesis 10 and 11. So all of human beings are in this one portion of the earth and they haven't yet been dispersed uh, throughout the world. And I thought, okay, that's a, that's an interesting argument. Yeah. Of course, it's not going to resonate uh, with <laughs> with everyone, but that that's one piece of the puzzle. We have an interview with him on YouTube. You can kind of watch his whole line of argumentation on it. Yeah, again, another link. It's a link bonanza today in the description, so uh, we'll get that in there. Uh, but what might surprise some of the theologians' critics, those who are coming after him? Yeah, I think it's interesting because you're going to hear, people are going to hear this and they're going to say, this liberal, you know, this yeah. progressive. And he said, look, I'm an evangelical Christian. He said he believes in biblical inerrancy and that scripture is fully trustworthy. Um, you know, he said if people were to go down the line and ask him what he believed on all sorts of issues, they'd find him pretty conservative and pretty classically Christian in his instincts. So this isn't, you know, in his mind, this issue of him having 40 different ideas that are not biblical. This is one idea um, and, you know, when we were talking about this, we do have to be careful on what's a salvation issue and what's not. There are yeah. some people who might say, well, this is a salvation issue. It, yeah, this is a, this is a difference of opinion uh, and it matters. Right. The conversation matters, of course. Um, but I think the bigger question is, does it does it change the story? And, and we know this is a real story, but does it change what we're supposed to take away from it? Yeah. Super interesting indeed. And a food for thought. What else has he said about the meaning of the arc narrative? Yes, and that's and that's the piece, right? Because I, I asked him now, like, does this change theologically anything? If somebody says it's regional versus local in terms of the location where the flood happened, he said, I don't think anything of great theological consequence is at stake in the specific matter of the extent of the water, um, which, again, is interesting Uh you know, he, oh, one other thing he raised, and of course, God can do anything, right? If God's bringing the animals to Noah, he could do anything. Right. But he did He did talk about the fact that, you know, you have to account, like, how are these animals that are only specific to the Americas making their way over to the Middle East? And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, I mean, that's <laughs> one factor that people might ask, right? Like, they're, uh, but again, God can do anything. He can get animals wherever he wants to get them, Um but, but yeah, his point was it doesn't change the same lessons you're going to walk away with if it's regional versus global are the same lessons. And I thought, okay, that's, in, that's an inter- another interesting argument. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, like you said, Ken Ham, I'm sure, I don't know if he's responded to him or not, but, um, you know, I just know that one of the things I've seen, like, like Ken Ham talk about, is they've used the flood and what's happened there to explain some things we see in our area, like with the Grand Canyon, for example, like arguing that only a massive flood could create something like that. So uh, it's interesting, though, because uh, those are those are not just like crazy points about that, that humanity was uh, localized there at that time. And so uh, it's certainly 
an interesting conversation. I'm not sure what prompted him to go down that road, but uh, it's it's certainly an in- interesting observation, and I wonder what will come of it. Yeah, and just a quick note, Answers in Genesis does have, um, they've covered this in books, they, they have a website um, page, was the flood of Noah global or local in extent? So this yeah. is a conversation that has happened, and of course they map out exactly why, as you said, they believe that it was global. And it's good that Christians uh, of all stripes here can can kindly have these debates and and are and and you know kind of go back and forth on the meaning of these things and what's happened and still at the end of the day, like you said, we're not, we're not talking salvation issue here. So I'm just trying to get to the bottom of of everything that God's done. And so it's it's always fun to have these sorts of uh, like look, you iron sharpens iron. You want to make sure you're not just blindly thinking things, right? Like let's you know even if it's something you're not going to be moved on, right? Like let's. Let's just run these things to ground and and uh, hash it out to make sure we're we're landing in the in a in a solid spot, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, Billy, appreciate you bringing that one to the pod today. But we are going to head on over to the main thing now. And a new report from the Family Research Council shows a disturbing eight hundred percent increase in attacks against churches in the United States over the last six years. Ariel Del Turco joins Madison Seals on today's main thing to discuss her research and what's behind this hostility against Christians. That's today's main thing. So this report tracks acts of hostility against churches in the United States between January 2018 and November 2023. And during that time, there were, there were reports of 915 acts of hostility that you recorded. Ariel, in your research, what did these acts of hostility look like and where have they mostly been occurring? So we looked at vandalism, arson, uh, gun-related incidents, and other crimes that take place on church property. Um, and really, we found that this was a nationwide problem. The states with the, more, the most incidents tend to correspond with states with larger populations. Uh, but we found this wasn't just a problem for big cities. It wasn't just a problem for blue states. It was a problem for red states. It's a problem for rural areas, suburban areas, and urban areas. So we're really looking at this as a nationwide uh, challenge, as a nationwide, really, uh, hostility against churches that seems to be skyrocketing. Um, Just from 2022 to 2023 alone, we saw the acts of hostility against churches double in number. So we think this is a grave concern for everyone who cares about religious freedom and who cares about the ability of all people to be able to go to your church or house of worship without feeling like you're being targeted by your community. Right, yeah, and you and Family Research Council started tracking these attacks back in January of 2018. So was there a specific event that led to this research being started or what sparked the idea for this report in the first place? We started to become really concerned about this last year after the leak of the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision, uh, which would eventually be decided and would overturn Roe v. Wade, um, which obviously affected abortion. But in response to that, we saw uh, just anecdotally in the news a seeming rise in attacks against churches, 
that were perceived to be pro-life, many of them were Catholic churches and were openly pro-life, uh, but we saw these really ugly acts of vandalism, interruption of worship services, um, really nasty, uh, just things that took place on, on these church properties in response to the leak of the Dobbs decision. And so we wanted to really dig into the details and find out is this actually a trend over time? Are we just hearing more about it now? And so we went backwards and looked at the past six years from 2018 to uh, now 2023, uh, really looking at what is happening and what we found was a pretty serious rise in acts of hostility. And we think this is just the tip of the iceberg uh, because we're just reporting on what has already been openly reported and what's already publicly documented. And we know that there are many more that go undocumented, unreported, uh, because many of these churches, they have so many repeat incidents, they just give up. Uh, so we think this is the tip of the iceberg and it's pointing to a much larger problem. And I want to talk about that, what's behind this, because when we talk about the church and this report, we're mostly talking about physical destruction and attacks on church buildings and places of worship and even pro-life clinics, as you mentioned, after Dobbs. But the root of all this violence goes deeper, and it seems like an attack on the church body or the Christian faith in general. Do you cover any potential motives behind these attacks in this report? Yeah, I think that's spot on. We really see this as correlating to a general trend in our culture uh, that just seems to be a collapse in respect for Christianity. We're looking at a situation where uh, the news media is painting Christianity as being hostile to different minority groups, uh, to different like political sects. Uh, we're looking at a, a situation where just the um, the culture, the, the media, our music views Christianity as outdated or oppressive, uh, uncool to say the least. Uh, and so when we see academia, the media, uh, the news media as well, all disrespecting Christianity, it's not totally surprising that this mindset is spilling over into real world physical effects. Uh, I think several decades ago, people would have been less likely to uh, walk past a church and like throw a brick in a window uh, because there was more of a cultural respect and reverence for, for churches and houses of worship. Uh, these are places where people just instinctively knew uh, this place deserves respect even if I'm not a Christian and I'm not on board with everything uh, that these people believe. I, I just think we don't have that in our culture anymore. Uh, we don't have respect for religion and religious institutions and that's showing sadly uh, with even crimes against churches. Yeah, that's so true. We just talked last week on this podcast about a volunteer firefighter chaplain who was fired for sharing about his personal faith on his personal blog. So if we added to this report of all the physical crimes, all the incidents of religious discrimination against Christians, it paints an even more dangerous picture about hostility against Christians in the U.S. But we're not without hope, of course, as Christians. So how have religious communities responded to these attacks and have they received much support from the federal government? 
A lot of the responses by the churches that have been targeted, first of all, a lot of them are just absolutely shocked that they're uh, targets of of vandalism or arson or repeated vandalism. Uh, But we see a lot of really gracious responses from pastors and church communities really calling on on prayer for uh, the people that are committing these crimes. They know that these people are are hurting and dealing with some sort of issue um, and that they, they probably need Jesus, right? They need our prayers. So we see a lot of that, but in a few uh, especially inspiring cases, we see communities rally around churches and uh, work with them to rebuild what might need rebuilt or uh, to remove vandalism. And I always like to encourage that because the reality is religious freedom doesn't just rely on good laws. We already have laws on the books that protect churches. But religious freedom also relies on cultural support. So we can all build that cultural support for religious freedom and for churches by uh, simply stepping out. When you hear about a church in your community that's been vandalized, see if you can go help. Um, And just don't be afraid to live out your faith in in the public square. Pray in public, uh, share your faith in a respectful way. Uh, I think when we're in corporate settings, a lot of people think that they've never met maybe a pro-life Christian. And so you need to, if you're a pro-life Christian, you need you need to be sharing that and upfront, um, in a in a gentle, respectful way, and letting people know that you know what, <laughs> Christians are not so bad. Uh, we have great things to offer. We're wonderful members of the community, uh, and just being exposed to that witness, that good Christian witness, I think is going to go a long way towards building a culture that respects religious freedom and that respects everyone's right to. Uh, go to church or whatever house of worship they see fit. Yeah, and that's such a good reminder that the church is more than just a building. It's a body of Christians, the body of Christ. And the best way to live out your faith is by being the hands and feet of Christ. So that was a great reminder. And this is a very detailed report that you've worked so hard on, and we can only scratch the surface of it in this brief podcast. So where can listeners check out the entire report? You can see the report at frc.org slash hostility against churches. Well, Ariel, thank you so much for your time and for your work on exposing these incidents. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Madison, thanks for that uh, important conversation. That's a trend that obviously is going to escape notice for the most part from the mainstream media. So appreciate you bringing it to our podcast today. Well, that's going to leave us with time on this Monday episode of the Quick Start Podcast. For one last thing, we're going to take a look at look at look a look at. Boy, there's a tongue twister. A look at Luke 632. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Convicting verse there, that that chunk of scripture in Luke 6 always is to me because it challenges us to act differently than the world in a radical way. Yeah. It's, it really calls you out because it's so easy <laughs> to yeah. be annoyed with other people or to, <laughs> yeah. or to be like, Oh my gosh. But you know, we're called to love feed, clothe our enemies. So yeah, and it's, it's, con- it's a convicting one. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. We feel justified oftentimes in, in maybe our spiteful or, or vengeful actions. So uh, a good reminder to, uh, humble ourselves as we often should and and uh, follow Christ's lead so all right good spot to leave it here on the Monday edition of the quick start podcast as always get on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news 
from a Christian perspective, Lord willing, that creek don't rise. We shall return tomorrow. God bless. We'll see you then.